two. Yes, good morning, everyone. Well, thank you for being here for Bible class and for coming a little bit early so that we could sit around together and do something that we have been doing for thousands of years. Uh, do you realize if we were to roll back the clock and had the ability, maybe a, a video if they had this in the first century, but the ability to actually look at what we as followers of Christ were doing 2,000 years ago, do you realize this very same thing was happening? Probably in a smaller setting, it would be either in somebody's home, in some cases synagogues had been converted over, but there would be a gathering of people who were followers of Christ, and they would, they would gather together, they would sit down together, they would worship together, they would pray together, they would share meals together, uh, including the most important meal of the day, which was, of course, communion. But something amazing would happen in those settings, and it wasn't always just on a Sunday. It was these gatherings would occur in their home, sometimes daily, and every once in a while, in one of these gatherings in that very first century, uh, instead of just opening the scrolls that would have been your Old Testament, somebody would say, we just got a copy of this good news according to, and they would mention one of the apostles. And one day, this happened. Somewhere in modern-day Turkey, in one of those small churches, somebody walked into one of those congregations or into that home and sat down and said, guess what I got? We just got a copy of the good news according to John. You guys know who John is? John's the one. He's over in Ephesus. We think John ended up in Ephesus. And it was from there that he, he penned this book that you have. Imagine what it was like that day to be sitting in that room and for the first time be among a group of people who said, let's read this. And they did. They would have read it, start, all the way from the start, all the way to the finish. Let the whole thing just wash over them. And then they would gather and come back and for the next, who knows, several weeks, several months, in addition to all the other letters that maybe had circulated through, in addition to their entire Old Testament, they would sit together and grapple with certain sections and scenes and things that were written in this book. Well, we've tried to recreate a little bit of that this summer. And, of course, it got out of hand, and so it's we're past summer, summer it's now, summer now until it's the fall. <laughs> uh, but it's to, it's to remind us that that's what we do, is we still today, 2,000 years later, gather together, and just as excited as they were in the first century, we open this and say, guess what we got? <laughs> and we're able to open those very same words who, thanks to people who are a lot smarter than me, have taken those original words and translated them into words and phrases that I can understand. But the meaning has not changed. And it's still the powerful word that was shared there at first. Well, today's the last day of our study in the Gospel according to John, uh, at least for this, you know, formal class. And so we thought today, in, we're not introducing anything new, we thought today let's do what you are supposed to do in a conclusion, and that is to pull everything back together. Yeah. <clears throat> a reflection, if you will, kind of, I was calling it the uh, John's Greatest Hits. <laughs> yeah. um, but sort of going through, um, you know, what stood out, what was meaningful, um, but before we go down that path, um, we really wanted to spend just a moment to highlight what John highlights. Um, obviously, we've mentioned several times, you can't, 
you can't do a study of John and do it any justice, um, you know, in just chunks of classes or, you know, even a semester of college, but it takes, you know, a long time, a lifetime, if you will, uh, to go through and reread it and really understand what's going on. But at least this morning, we wanted to just briefly hone in on um, the really weighty prologue that John gives us, because that then, as we, you know, talked about before, it sets a whole tone for the rest of the book. Um, and then he just, he riffs off that through the rest of it. Um, and this is what we did, can I just disclose, this is what we did yesterday, is uh, we show up at a coffee shop and say, okay, what did you learn? And it was about two and a half hours into it, you said, maybe we should put down some notes <laughs> for a class tomorrow. As we just thought about how powerful this book was for us, having read it before and you know, gone through it in other settings, and we'd like to recreate that here. Um, what we're going to do is read the prologue, which is John's introduction, and then we're going to go to the end and we'll read the purpose statement. And then afterwards, here's the question. I'm going to give you the question ahead of time so that you can be thinking about it as we go through the prologue. And the question is simply this. Uh, What personal reflections do you have from our reading of this gospel according to John? In other words, what touched you? What moved you? Uh, What made you want to keep on reading? Uh, What questions do you still have, having gone through that? So as we read the prologue and you hear everything John wants you to catch, and we read the purpose statement, uh, be prepared for that question and let that guide our discussion for today. So maybe I'll just start with the prologue. This is from John in your own Bible. Find this, the gospel according to John, which is the fourth gospel. Imagine opening this now for the first time. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God." And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the only or the only begotten God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now this is like in those old days, imagine a VHS tape where we're about to hit fast forward all the way to the end of the book. But as you're going by, Remember all those scenes, all of those events, all of those things you read about. 
Well, yeah, and as we, you know, as we've been going through, you know, we're on week 16, if you can believe that. Um, you know, you realize that everything that you just read in the prologue, you see it in every story through John. Uh, you know, and, and, and the, all the signs that are that are done, everything that he says. You know, we went and we tried to hit on the thematic themes of of irony and of and of love and of faith and belief and all these things. And then, yeah, you fast forward. I don't know about VGA. That's even too old for me. But uh, when you get to the end, then John tells you, well, what's? Why did you just read all this? And he sums it up real nicely in John twenty thirty through thirty one. He says, so then many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we spent you know, a long time talking about life, uh, what that means and the implications. Um, but we certainly, uh, as we were talking about yesterday, you know, we we're only skimming the surface of what John really is. We're only touching, you know, the fringes of the cloak, if you will. There's so much more that you can pull out of this book uh, because as as you read through it, you realize he's not in a bubble. Uh, He's connected to the rest of the synoptics, to the Old Testament, to Paul's epistles, and to the New Testament. And it all jives together in this, you know, meta story, uh, meta theme going through the scriptures that points back to Jesus. Well, that's a great metaphor. Let's just do that. So pretend this is a, a rock and we're just skipping it across the water. And that water is this uh, gospel according to John. Uh, where does that rock land for you? Let's, uh, let's just open it up. What are your reflections? What are your thoughts? What is meaningful to you? What stood out to you? What made you want to keep reading? What, are your, what questions do you still have? And let's spend a few minutes just reflecting on what we've studied. What stood out to you? Oh, Tony. One of those big words in my glory. Fine words. When you think about John 1, he introduced, no one's in the father, but Jesus came and he witnessed his word, the glory. All the way through the book of John, you've seen the glory of God. It was so uniquely different. You couldn't explain it if you just were trying to explain something. You had to see it. And John opened it up. Good, yeah, so Tony reminds us, you see this word glory shows up at first, how do you define that? And you realize, this is a much, I like how you said it, it's one of the big words that you see, and then as that rock skips over John, what you're saying is, you just see his glory, sometimes in the narrative, sometimes in what he says, but you see you're getting closer and closer to that time where he is glorified, yeah, with God, yeah, beautiful, beautiful thought. Anybody else catch the glory? Yes, Tracy. Yeah, that stood out to you too, didn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah, and um, <clears throat> so I mentioned before, my favorite story, my story, my favorite portion, if you will, of John is uh, chapter 8 with the adulterous woman. Um, and I think that that story epitomizes that uh, very well because she was clearly being rejected by her community, having her sin exposed um, in the very you know heart of darkness. And then <laughs> there is this, you know, world-renowned, if you will, rabbi who should have joined the crowd by all, by all measure. He should have been standing right there with them, ready to pick up stones. And he tells her, 
looking directly in her eyes. And you know, and sure, you embellish the scene because you can't help it. You know, he talks about riding on the ground, so I always envision she's on the ground, he's on the ground, she's probably, you know, dirty, you know, crying, I would assume. And he looks right in her eyes and says, I don't condemn you either. And I think that that is a line you're not supposed to just have read in that story about her, but it's being spoken to the reader. Um, and it's weighty, and it feels great when you realize that all the filth that you brought into the world, you're no longer condemned for um, when you're in Jesus, and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. This is who I am. I don't know if you're able to hear that. Can I just summarize that briefly? But what a beautiful statement that he kept telling us over and over again throughout John who he was, meaning Jesus tells us who he is over and over. And we're meant to capture that. And then that leads to not just an understanding. I'm going one step beyond, but this is where you just took me of their statement. It's not just knowing who he is. It's this invitation then to know him. And he just leads us right up to that. Well, and if I can bounce off that real Did quick. I summarize that right? Did yeah, I? no, I think, yeah. Um, Your so, mom has a way of just sending me thinking even more deeper about this book. Yes, she's a great educator. <laughs> um, so, yeah, one of the topics that we talked about a little bit yesterday was this idea of sin. Um, it tends to be, and I don't want to jump ahead too far, but um, it tends to be a predominant theme uh, for a lot of people in their, in their faith. You know, don't sin, know what sin is, avoid sin. Um, but John dramatically contrasts that. You're not given any list of do's and don'ts. Uh, you're not given any real example of Jesus condemning people outside really of the leaders because they should have known better. Um, but what I would associate with is the common man, the layman. He doesn't, he doesn't ridicule them. He doesn't lambast them. He doesn't put them down. He pulls them up. And the impression I get out of John is much less of a here's the rules to follow but very much more, sin is a state of mind. Um, it's a lifestyle that you fall into. It's less of, well, what are you doing in that lifestyle? But it's more of, why, you know, why are you in it? What is the world in which you're living in? And Jesus is trying to turn that upside down entirely. So it's not about avoid these things, but it's completely transform your life. Um, and then out of, out of that transformation, by side effect almost, morality comes. Righteousness comes. A desire to do the characteristics of Christ comes. So it's not focusing on, oh, I've got to be good, but it's as you love Jesus and walk with him and you're transformed into his likeness, doing good is just your default. You can't help it because you're so transformed into his likeness. Yeah. Steve? So, so as an educator, one time I think about the moon's taxonomy, which I'm talking about, just bring it to me. There's knowledge, and there's understanding, and there's application, and there's synthesis. synthesis. They don't want us to know Jesus. That's just step one. Mm-hmm. They want us to understand who he is, apply that to our lives, and naturally, morality and change of life, and we can have life in his name. But if you just know Jesus and believe, you're still going to end up in hell according to the Bible, right? Yeah. You yeah. believe. So what? If you've got to then go beyond that knowledge, mm-hmm. and apply that to your life, and naturally, it makes changes to your life. Because of that. 
Yeah, thanks. Stephen uh, introduces us to Bloom's taxonomy. I probably haven't even thought that word for decades, but you're right. There's this progression, knowledge to eventually the application. And no fair walking out of here saying, all right, I know John 3.16. You're meant to know him. (laughs) And that's what John's inviting you to. We'll probably come back to that. That's just going to be a drumbeat we're going to keep hitting on here. But also, just to interject, be careful with that train of thought too. Because John 3.16 can also be the beginning of someone's faith. Um, you know, it's, and I think that's a dilemma that I found myself in was I have to read all of these commentaries. I have to know all these scholarly books um, to be, even have a basis for my faith, and that's not true. Um, just opening it up and the Spirit will talk to you. It will move in, in you. And that was one of the other things we talked about yesterday. Well, you do that one because you were better at it. What's that? This, how the Spirit was doing the working in the book and then working in you. Well, the, one of the things that came out in our discussion was just how it was this realization. Okay, so this is really getting to the end because this is this was the aha moment for me. Having studied John many times and reading it through, it struck me in a way that maybe just had not before that this book is inspired of God. Meaning, we, we read here where Jesus says, you know, we, we're told he breathed on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then I realized, oh, it was part of that receiving. John receiving God's spirit led him to write down this document as is written. But here was the aha moment for me was realizing, oh, wait a minute. It's that same spirit in me who's now interpreting this document of John. And so it's still him working to his will. Um, Anyway, that was the powerful moment for me. I still get chills even thinking about that. It was this realization that, oh, this is how he still works. Yeah. Well, and then a flavor to that was in First John. He's just that's where he just lives. Yeah. Was the Spirit revealing all this stuff to you? But that's jumping ahead. That's later. <laughs> oh, it, 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 we're not jumping anywhere. Here. We're <laughs> skipping rocks. Yeah. Hey, David. I, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but in the, in the prologue, in the beginning. Thanks, David. And you're honing in on that word, word. Yeah. And one of the things that jumped out to us there about this word, word, is, oh, I need to find this, John 5, is that it is his word. And, and then we're told he is the word. And that's, we're invited to know him. That's, you've heard that said in various ways here. What a powerful, what a powerful introduction. Well, and to really mess with your mind some more, um, you know, as you read through John, and I mean any, anywhere in the scriptures for that matter, um, something is supposed to jump out at you. Something is supposed to take hold of you and, and grab you. And you're, 
in ways that I don't know how to explain. Uh, as uh, Jesus talks to Nicodemus, talking about the Spirit, and we don't understand or perceive how the wind works, but it's clear as day the evidence of it working. In the same fashion, you have an experience with a, the risen Savior himself as you spend time in the Scriptures. Um, that's the hope you're promised, is to have a relationship with him, to abide in him, to have this oneness with him. And yes, you get that as you spend time in the Word. Yeah. This is kind of a fun exercise to do. Uh, if you were to think through the book of John, we've already mentioned a couple of the words here, uh, but just for a moment, let's think through what are some of the common words or phrases that you recall in reading through John? And I'll throw out, I'll just start to prime the pump. Tony gave us one of the big words, glory. Yeah. Word. Yes. Good. Light. Contrasted with darkness, yeah. Life, contrasted with death, yeah. Any other words? Truly, who said that? I heard a word. Oh, yes. True, or truly, truth comes out quite a bit. Aletheia, contrasted with. Falsehood, yeah, <laughs> a lie, yeah. Don't buy into the lie. Well, that'll come up in First John quite a bit. Yeah. Any other words? We haven't hit the big one yet. <laughs> Which one are you thinking of? Oh, yeah, the one used the most. Yeah, we don't want to give that away. So the idea, of, you're saying the idea of witness? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. The idea that this is meant to be shared. Okay, that's a total side topic, but that's such a powerful thing that comes out in John is who God uses to give his testimony. It's the marginalized. It's the people you would not expect to be the spokesman. Well, we'll circle back to that in a minute. Uh, but the point is, do you see all these words, these different words that come out? You've used quite a bit. Can I share with you something that it was actually Tim, you brought this up yesterday, uh, where he said, you know, when I think through this, he's spending a lot more time on the good words. He said, it seems like I spend all of my time thinking about the bad words, like sin, evil, death. And so we just said, all right, well, let's use our commentary tools here and let's just make a pie chart and see how many times are these words used. Now, the pie chart did not work out. I'm sorry we tried it. <laughs> I'm not that technically savvy. But uh, here's, the, here's the contrasting words. So guess how many times the word sin is used? You don't have to guess, I'll tell you. Sin is used in John 25 times. And what would be the opposite of, oh, we should use that one last. And then the word evil. Evil is used four times. Only four times. What's the opposite of evil? Good. Yeah, the word good is used ten times. So four evil, ten good. I don't want to make too much of that, but some of this is good. Death. Guess how many times death is used? Say ten. Ten, exactly. Yeah, so it was ten, ten times. <laughs> uh, the word death. And the opposite of death is life. Guess how many times life is used? Let's see. Life, 47 times. Eternal life was 38 of those. Darkness, 9. Light, 23. Uh, sin, 25. The opposite of sin is everything the way it's supposed to be. This is where you can put everything together. 
It sends used 25 times, as I said. The word glory, 17 times. Love, 57. Father, 140. Son, 65. Christ, 19. Spirit, 23. Believe, 98 times. God, 83. Word, 47 times. There it is, Tracy. And get this, Jesus, which means Savior, used 245 times. So if you were just to take the common words and phrases, what is the point? What is the message? What is the theme John wants you to catch? What's that? Is good over evil, and not just generic good, John. Jesus. And this comes back to Tracy's comment, is at the end, you have this example in that exercise we just went through of what it means that the light shines in the darkness. And it's almost the way, that's the way John wrote this book. The light shines in the darkness. And even when you just compare the numbers, which I know is silly, it's just meant to illustrate the point. The darkness has not, has no way to even get its arms around this powerful, overwhelming message of Jesus, the Savior who brings life. Yeah. Okay, that's its own sermon. (laughs) You could, (laughs) that will preach. Yeah. Uh, Yes. All right, well, this is a dangerous thing to do, but let's take that as a question. So Stephen raises this question and says, what do we do with this information? As followers of Christ, I think the way you said it was, do we focus more on what we're for versus what we're against? Which is a provocative way to ask that. But how does, let's just go with that. How does reading John change the way you think or affect the way that you think of following Christ? Okay, yeah, Tony uses the illustration of how does a banker learn to recognize counterfeit dollars? It's not by studying all the different ways counterfeit dollars look. It's by learning what the real one looks like and applying that to what it means to follow Christ. Let's learn what real life is and who gives that life. Uh, Other thoughts? How does John change the way or affect the way you think about following Christ? So Gail brings us back to the comment there that it is, that's the same place I ended up here. It is God's spirit who is working in us to turn us into the people he intended us to be. Now, see, you have me, I went one step beyond even what you said there, but um, is that a good summary? Uh, and well, and, and John the, brings that, oh, go ahead. I mean, the other part, too, you're focusing on is the, is the joy, the joy of being a Christian. 
And what's the first thing the disciples do when they see the risen Savior? They have overwhelming joy. They rejoice exceedingly, you know, if you will. Um, and yeah, amen, all day long. I mean, what's, what's our hope? I mean, we talked about this, I guess, last week, was what, what happened when the church started to spread? The world began to change. You know, they changed every facet of society because they knew that there was something more important, not that they were hoping for a beyond, but that they were, they were living in the kingdom then and now, and they were spreading it in their time and place because they knew it had the ability to change lives. And then I guess in the same context, too, do you focus on, on the things you're for or you're against? Well, the answer is yes, it's done simultaneously because as you then spread the joy of, of, of Jesus and salvation, it by default nullifies the things of this world. And so it's not, again, I guess in my own mindset, it's not always pointing out the bad things, but it's overwhelmingly supporting the good things because they then squash that which is killing people. And this is connecting several dots, things that uh, we've talked about so far, but just riffing a little bit off of this idea of the spirit that we're introduced to in John. This is God's spirit who we're told in John. We're only introduced to this idea. He doesn't tell us how this happens or how it's going to play out, but at least in this gospel according to John, we're introduced for the first time to this idea that when Jesus is glorified, when he is raised from the dead and returns to his father, he doesn't just leave us to figure it out until he comes back. He says, I'm going to send this helper, this counselor. And specifically there, he's talking to the disciples or these apostles that he's called to follow him and John. We're only introduced to this idea. So this is one of those shameless advertising for our next class, which will start next week, is the book of First John, written by most likely the very same person who wrote John. Now he's going to write a letter to those of us who were not there at first, to those of us who were not the apostles, but the ones that you heard Jesus refer to, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. John writes a letter to all of us. And that's where he spends more time talking about here's what the Spirit of God does in all of those in whom uh, he has placed his Spirit as, you know, the living temples of God. So that's coming. That's kind of the advertising part. Um, Other thoughts? Just as excited, just as enthusiastic. 
Yeah, a court just reminds us that you're reading here a very personal sermon. It's almost like you're reading uh, the sermon notes 30 years later, somebody reflecting you know, on what they've preached on, what they've shared, what they've spent a lot of time thinking about. But still, just the way John says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he was there when Jesus took off his outer garment, put on the towel, and was washing their feet. He was there, and you get that sense, that personal connection. And he invites you into that. Do you get that sense that he's, he's saying, yeah, here, come spin with me. Yeah, court just reminds us this is an invitation for us to have that same personal connection with each other and with the Lord. And again, it's just that, uh, Patty just reminds us that in not just John, I think you were going to even other places, you recognize. Yeah. And I, 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 I locked onto your word power that you use there, is there is a power in his presence with them. And then your question, which I don't know the answer to, but how did they feel about that? We're given a snapshot of that in Luke where the disciples all come back and they're rejoicing and they're saying, you're not going to believe what we were able to do. We were able to preach your name. We were able to cast out demons in your name and they laughed. And you remember what Jesus said back to them? This is a very powerful note. Jesus says, do not rejoice. He says, I, I was there. I saw Satan cast out from heaven uh, like lightning. But don't rejoice. And this was his comment. Don't rejoice that the demons submit to you rejoice that your names are written in heaven it's this powerful line to say yeah you when you follow the lord you get access to the same power that created the entire universe i'm not saying that you have ultimate power i'm saying you have access to the one who has that ultimate power but jesus says that's not what makes you happy that's not what gives you this fulfillment what gives you that fulfillment is you've been given life in his name. And with that comes 
this unspeakable privilege of being a part of the project <laughs> that's making everything right again. Uh, yeah, what a wonderful thought. Thank you for that. Putting us back there, what would that have been like? And then the reminder, I think this is where you're going with that, is, wait a minute, we're still in the same project and in the, the modern age of his work. I want to go back to the comment you made about things being made right when, when people do what John's inviting them to do. Believe in Jesus, have life in his name. I was just, the name that came to mind is uh, Tom Holland. Do you know who Tom Holland is? Okay, I'm not talking about Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Tom Holland. No, <laughs> there's a, the other, in our family, he's called the other Tom Holland. <laughs> the other one, he's a historian from uh, mostly first century, but really a historian of Roman times and, uh, and some of the ancient world. But one of the things that he brings out, he's, it's interesting because he grew up a Christian and left his faith, and now it's kind of like he's drifting back. But he says one of the things that really struck him in studying ancient, the ancient world is the way the Roman Empire worked. It was, a, it was a, a system of power. And the way you got anything done in the world was by having more power than others, having more prestige, and all those things that you know, people think they should be pursuing. But he says he studied, and he said, I realized I don't want to be a Roman. He said, and then I realized that I am, by default, Christian. Because everything that I stand for about how you get things done by service, by you lead by serving others, you make things right again by offering yourself and laying down your own life. He goes, that is so opposite of everything that people in this period of time knew about leadership. And yet the world that we now have, regardless of whether or not a person's a follower of Christ or not, the things that we now point to and say, this is right, this is the way it should be, this is you know, how society is supposed to work. All of those are things that were taught to us by, by him. And it's because in the first century, there was this group of people in which life was not falling apart. Society wasn't falling apart. It was as if when these people came together, life was falling together. <laughs> uh, and they were able to serve each other. We talked a little bit about health care last week, but in all other ways, so that within 300 years, there were actually emperors who said, we're going to do things their way. And then there were problems with this. I'm not saying this was the right thing to do, but the emperor said, this will now be the official religion. Uh, I'm not advocating that. What I am advocating is the reason an emperor would say that is because he recognized among one group of people, things seemed to be working. And that caught the eye of the entire world. I said I wanted you to comment on that, and then it, I, I... I wasn't going to stop you. That's where my <laughs> mind went, uh, well, I know when we talked about that yesterday, my first thought, I go to John seventeen three, um, and it says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And I know, I don't think I'm alone in this struggle. Um, for a long time, when I thought of God, I thought of the Old Testament. And when I thought of the Old Testament, I thought of a guy who just wanted to kill people, who wanted blood for forgiveness, and he was just kind of a jerk. Um, that is not, that's not even close uh, to the accuracy of the depiction you get in the Old Testament. You've, if you can get through that motif and through that paradigm and realize that the God of the Old Testament is a God of immense compassion, of everlasting love, of this deep desire that I don't really fully understand to, to want to redeem humanity so that we can live together in this union just as we did in the garden. Um, and that's the exact same 
God you see in the manifestation of Jesus. Because uh, for the longest time, I had a disconnect between this angry God and this loving, humble Jesus. Uh, but as you spend more time in the scriptures and then you can mesh them together, they're the same entity. They're the same characteristics. Um, and then so, so then for me, this um, culmination of, of divinity and humanity really starts to mess with you. Because uh, it's, am I supposed to be, you know, reverent and use big Bible words when I pray and sit up straight and focus in, in service? Um, or am I being asked to be the blind man who falls on his knees and worships him in the middle of the street? Or are you, are you Peter, you know, and you, and you see the Lord and you don't even think twice. You just jump into the water and start swimming. And you get and you stand before him soaking wet, but you don't care because you get to be with him. Um, and then again, the adulterous woman is just where I've lived for so long. Um, and being able to be not condemned and be brought up is just, is just wonderful. And to see that what Jesus is calling us to is, is to be those marginalized, to be those, those women who John overemphasizes in his gospel, um, or in a gospel according to John. <laughs> um, I mean, because the very first uh, sign you get was instituted by his mother. And the very last sign you get was first observed by Mary. And so whether or not that has implications on women, that's a different topic. But obviously what you're being called to see, and my mind goes to 1 Corinthians 1, where he says he uses the weak and the foolish of the world to shame the wise and the strong. And so Jesus is trying to overturn. So what you were talking about, that Rome did not have power. They had a false notion of power. That true power was Jesus being crucified on a cross, exalted to his throne, with his crown and his robe, that that was the true expression of exaltation. Mm. And that's what we're called to emulate, not in the physical likeness of his death, but very much so in the mental, and the emotional, and the spiritual death. Uh, because out of that comes this first century church that's changing the world for some reason. Yeah, yeah that's great. Okay, we just have a couple minutes left. Let's do popcorn reflections. You've heard uh, Tim mention John 8, a woman caught in adultery, several other scenes. What scenes from John stick in your mind that, uh, that you say, I, this is special? Wow. But <laughs> yeah. And connecting that back to... Boom. Yeah. I'm in my mind connecting that to Gail's statement earlier, too, that he became among us what God is making us to become. And then, boom. Wow. Other, yeah. Other reflections, stories, events? How to overcome rejection. Whoa, he showed us that. Yeah, good. John? You mentioned uh, earlier about him, who, uh, of course, it is the way we're going to do things because he saw it was what worked. And in John chapter 13, we see Jesus commanding his disciples to love one another. He's commanding us to love one another. But he says this in 35, he says, they will know that you are mine by the way you love one another. So when you talk about setting the example and seeing something that works, Jesus was saying, People will see that this works, and you'll see that you're mine by the way you love one another. We may not change an emperor's mind, but we definitely change the world's mind by the way we love each other. It's still still powerful. That's right. Well spoken by John.
who is still speaking today. That's good. That's good. The chaotic scene, the argument that the blind man says, all I know is I was blind, and now I see. And now I see, yeah. Yeah, let's hang on to that. Well, I, yes. I have one thought. Um, we read John and we see the love of Jesus and what he did for all of us. But at the same time, we can't overlook the raw correction that comes with that love. Yeah. We talk about the Apostle Paul being more of a uh, hardliner, sharpshooter. He gets right in there and gets after him. We see it in all those books, those letters that he writes. Correction, correction. Mm-hmm. You know, love is great and wonderful, but if it's not followed with correction and direction, it only goes so far. So it takes both kinds. It's like Jesus in the temple when he overturns the, the money changers. Yeah, yeah John uh, too. And then he drives them out with a whip, yeah. the Bible says. So you know, we see that direction and correction, but it's always with love and followed with love. Yeah. And so we got to make sure we have equal amounts of both. Because one, just one alone is not going to be enough. And we see that versus uh, God in the New Testament, God in the Old Testament, where he, he killed absolutely everybody, or he sent Jesus to die on the cross for all of us. We see that direction, correction, and love, all of it together, so, so I like, can we use that as our leap off for next week? Mm-hmm. That's a great one. I feel the weight of time <laughs> kind of closing out. But what a great reminder that the love that you read about here is not a love that says it's going to be okay, do everything the way you want. You are not the authority here. But I'm going to give you something that is so powerful that it will provide that corrective. And that's what we get to read about in First John. It's how God in his love takes care of the sin problem and then gives you the ability to make things right first in your life and then the life of others. Um, quick concluding line because the bell just rang. This comes from uh, John 5, verse 27. And this is the reminder Jesus gave there in the middle of the uh, book when he says, uh, Jesus says, I have given them authority to execute judgment because of the Son of Man. Um, wait, why is it not? Who moved it? Where is it? No, it's John 5. Uh, I thought it was 29. Where's the verse that says you diligently seek um, the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life? Uh, 539. 39. I thought it was 29. Somebody moved it. Bob is it. a different Bible. They moved it. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Verse uh, John 539. <laughs> Let this be a lesson today. You search the scriptures, Jesus says, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and yet it is they talking about the Old Testament scriptures, that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Well, well, in there, John writes this book to say, don't be that person. He says, you diligently search this book that he's written, and he says, I've written this so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing, you would have life in his name. Next week, we'll turn the page and look at what he wrote to us in First John. Thank you all.